I don't know how your weekend has been. I have been home alone. My wife is away this weekend, and uh, I forgot to feed the dogs last night, so uh, fed them this morning. I wondered why they looked so anxious this morning after I took them out and brought them back in. They followed me everywhere staring at me, but uh, I've been home alone this weekend. My wife, uh, Leslie, goes away uh, this same time of year for the last couple of years. Um, she goes and spends some time with her parents. Uh, three years ago, uh, her only sibling, her older sister Giselle, went to be with Jesus, and um, her birthday is October 21st, and so each year on that day, Leslie goes and spends the day with her parents, and so she's been back east doing that, and uh, you know, uh, Giselle fought a battle with cancer, and it was cancer then that took her life, and and she stepped into the presence of Jesus, and uh, Giselle's on the right here, Leslie is on the left, and uh, they had no other siblings. Giselle uh, was not married and had no children, so our kids were her kids and special relationship. And most of you have been touched in your family or within your friend group uh, by the loss of someone because of cancer. Cancer really does stink, doesn't it? You know, and we do so much, and, and medical science works so hard to try to preserve life and through surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation and immunotherapy and all those things that, that are being used. And I, I know with all the good stuff that's going on that 100 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, people will look back and say, what were they doing? What were they thinking? Because there'd probably be some advances in 100 years to deal with this horrible disease. But if we could find you know, the cure for cancer, what if it was something so simple of this bottle of water called Hint and it's cherry flavored? What if this was the cure for cancer and you knew it? What would you do with that information to anyone you came along with, uh, came along or came across who was suffering with cancer? You would want them to know. If you had the cure for cancer, you would share it. You wouldn't let anything distract you from sharing it. You would, you would share it with intensity and passion and clarity and you'd be shouting it and whispering it and you'd be communicating it in every possible way. And yet we who know Jesus know the one who is the cure to all disease and is the cure to all sin and not only deals with what we are going through in this life, but it is through Christ that we can be removed from the curse of death itself. It is through Christ we have the cure from eternal death, separation from God, and can have a relationship with the God who made us. We would, be, we would be different if we really understood and really took to heart what it means that we have the cure to man's greatest ills and woes, man's sin problem, and the curse that hovers over us. Nothing would distract us if we had the cure for cancer from keeping the main message and the main thing, the main thing, and that'd be getting that cure out. And nothing should distract us as the followers of Jesus Christ from keeping the main thing, the main thing, and getting the message of Jesus Christ out. We come to the final message in our series on spiritual practices, and it's called Keeping the Main Thing, the Main Thing. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, we'll be there in a moment as we look at the final words of Jesus to his disciples after he ascended to the before he ascended to the Father. Today we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of disciple-making. We've talked about these habits or behaviors that we cultivate deliberately into our lives to help us grow, thrive, and flourish in Jesus. We've talked about 11 uh, practices up to this point, and today is the 12th with this practice of disciple-making. 
And these others included worship, confession, listening, Bible reading, fasting, Sabbath rest, prayer, service, stewardship, community, last week gratitude, and this week disciple making. And maybe one or more of these things God has grown you in over the last couple of months. Maybe you have stretched some muscles in some areas you hadn't stretched before in your Christian life. That's a good thing. What are these spiritual practices? Well, we've been defining spiritual practices this way. Intentional behaviors, habits, or disciplines that help us walk with God and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. God desires for my life and your life as his followers that we would live and love like Jesus wherever we go. And that transformation takes place from the inside out as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. Through these spiritual practices, we walk closely with God and he makes us more like Jesus. So what is this practice of disciple-making? It's deliberately focusing your daily life on being and making disciples of Christ who live and love like Jesus. Sometimes people think, well, the person who's supposed to be sharing the gospel and seeing people come to Christ and then helping them grow in Christ is the pastor or the pastors or these ministry leaders, and and we are just Christians who observe this thing of disciple-making. No, it is the responsibility given by Jesus to all of his followers. I am responsible, you are responsible, and one day we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to look at us and say, how did you do at making disciples? That's why I left you on the planet after you came to me as Savior, so how did you do it? with that. We need to deliberately focus daily on how we can help people come to know Christ, and as they cross that line of faith and they know him, then how they walk with him and grow in him, and they too become disciple makers. You see, the the pattern we're in here is to be disciples, be followers and learners of Jesus, but we're also to be inviting people and helping people become and grow as disciples. It's, it's the spirit of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. And this is it. What a disciple-making life declares to others is what Paul said. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus. As your pastor, I'm not saying to you week in and week out, follow me, follow me, follow me. No, I'm saying follow me as I follow Jesus. As I become more like Jesus, I hope you'll follow me and you'll become more like Jesus. And we need to have that kind of spirit and attitude and tone that just exudes from us with our own family, our own children, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, that we're inviting them, if they don't know Christ, to know him. And if they do know him, how to walk deeper with him. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Let's look at these final words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. After his death, burial, and resurrection, 40 days later, Jesus gathered with his disciples. He would ascend to the Father where he's seated right now until the Father says, go and call my children, until his second coming. We read in verse 16. Let's begin with verse 16, and we'll get to verse 19 in a moment. But Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's verse 19. Here are the the, the commissioning words, the sending out words of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The command in this This statement from Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, is to make disciples. And you do that while you're going, and you do that by baptizing, and you do that by teaching. And and so he's very clear that we're to make followers of Christ of all the nations. 
Luke would record the final words of Jesus this way in Acts chapter 1. We'll look at verse 8, but I want to go back to verse 6. Then they gathered around him, his followers, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? There are many of us who would love to see the values that were once a part of American culture be a part of that culture again. They're asking that same kind of question. Is now the time you restore Israel to its glory days, the old days? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't focus on that, he said. He said, but here's what you focus on. Verse 8, Acts 1-8, in these final words of Jesus to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We who know Jesus need to understand that every morning when we wake up, he expects us to be making disciples that this is what he expects us to do as we're going about our lives. So I want us to talk about how we keep the main thing, and we keep the main thing, the main thing, when we embrace, first of all, our God-given mission. Our God-given mission. It makes it very clear in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Disciples are learners, followers. We're saying to them, follow me as I follow Jesus. There are two parts to making disciples. There's the influence of our lives, which helps non-believers trust Christ as Savior. Jesus had walked with these men for three years. He'd eaten with them. He lived life with them. They saw who he was. They received and embraced who he was, received him as Savior. They now are launched out to walk with him as Lord of their lives, even in his absence But he had had a life-on-life influence, and we're to have a life-on-life influence with those who don't know Christ as Savior, with non-believers, so that our lives are an influence bringing them to faith in Jesus as their Savior. As I mentioned in the communion time, we invite anyone who doesn't know Christ to receive Christ. And if today's the day you're doing that or you have questions about that, we can help you. Uh, I'm going to be available on the patio after the service for a few moments. You can speak to me there. We can have someone on our team help you know what it means to know Jesus. We have care team members who will be down front after the service here to pray with you about any issue you might have, help you with any need you might have, but they're there to pray with you to receive Christ. And if you're joining us online or even in the room, uh, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. Just text that name, the name Jesus, to the number on the screen, and we will share with you how you can know Christ as Savior and how you can walk with him as your Lord. You see, when it says here, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that baptizing is the stake in the ground that says, I know I've received Jesus. And so that's the mile marker we're moving people toward. After they've received Christ, they publicly declare it to others. We're to have a life of influence that draws non-believers to that place where they trust Christ as their Savior. And then once individuals have trusted Christ as Savior, we still have a role because this is not just about marking off a box. We've got a convert. No, disciple-making is more than just seeing someone come to Jesus. It's seeing them come to Jesus and then the influence of our lives helps believers obey Christ as their Lord. There are two components to this. Helping someone understand who Jesus is as Savior and they embrace him and accept him and give their life to him as their Savior. But then there's this thing where we're helping each other and we're pouring into others so they grow and they walk in obedience. Jesus said, as you go and you make disciples and you're baptizing, then teach them, he said in Matthew 28, 20, teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you, which you've learned and heard of me, you pour into them. 
And that's how we say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Pastor and author David Platt said, to be a disciple of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't call us to be right or to make society better. He called us to make disciples. When we make disciples, we're right and society gets better. Our mission as a church, my mission as a pastor, our mission as individual believers, the mission of our homes is to make disciples, to see people come to Jesus and then walk in obedience to Jesus as they grow and thrive and flourish. Do you ever wonder why it was that when you accepted Jesus, you didn't immediately go to heaven? I remember when I was a teenager in a ministry at our church, I had the opportunity to pray with a little girl who wanted to receive Jesus as her savior. And she had that just simple Christ-like faith that Jesus says we all need to enter into his kingdom. We talked about you and you receive Jesus as your savior, then one day you'll go to heaven with him. You're forgiven now and forever. So we prayed the prayer and she said amen after she'd received Jesus and she opened her eyes and she looked around and she looked confused. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I'm not in heaven yet. Because in her simple thinking, it was you receive Jesus and you go to heaven. And then I explained to her, no, God leaves us here to live a life. He didn't save us just for fire insurance. He didn't save us just so we'd have eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, yes, I came to give you eternal life forever. And once we receive Jesus, we have that forever. And no one can take that away from us. But he also said, I came to give you the abundant life now. I came to give you a life that would be fulfilling and satisfying and meaningful. And then he talked about how that would have an influence in the lives of others and more people would come to him. I meet people who believe this concept that if you live a strong enough faith and you believe in the right things and you, you act the right way, then your life will be free of any health issues, any financial issues, any family troubles. Everything will just be beautiful because they think God's plan is that once we become a follower of Christ and we're growing in our faith, then we have this picture-perfect life. Nothing ever goes wrong. And, and then the world sees what we have and they want it and they come to Jesus because it's a perfect life with no problems. The scriptures constantly say to us as believers, when you suffer, when you suffer. You see, when we came to Jesus, he didn't put a bubble around us and we're just floating around people who are going through storms of cancer, who are going through storms of COVID or storms of a family crisis or storms of a death or the storms of, of a job situation. And, and we're just these bubbles floating around going, hey, we don't have any of those problems. We know Jesus. Come to Jesus. You know what he said? You're going to go through the same cancer, the same COVID the same financial difficulties, you're going to go through some things as a part of this broken world, but then people are going to look at you and say, wait a minute, how do they have peace in this? How do they have hope in this? What is different about them? What's distinct? And that's going to draw more people to Jesus as we're going through the same storm. Sometimes he protects us from the storms, but sometimes he intentionally takes us through the storms so that his glory can be seen in us. And we need to understand that our mission is to make disciples wherever we go, seeing people come to Jesus and then grow in Jesus. Secondly, to keep the main thing, the main thing, we must embrace our God-given mission to make disciples, but then our God-given message, which is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No other message but Jesus. In Acts 1.8, he said, you'll be my witnesses. I want you to tell people about what happened in your life because of me. 
I want you to be a witness of what I've been doing and how you've been growing and how you've been wrestling through things and how it's different now that you know me. And that message needs to come first from our lips. It's the sweet, sweet good news of the gospel. And what is that? Well, it's basically the bad news that sin separates us all from God. And we all need a savior. But the message that should come from our lips is also Jesus is the only way to God. We all need a savior. Jesus is the savior. Put your faith in him and by his grace he'll rescue you and save you. A lot of us struggle just to share the good news, the cure for eternal death, judgment and damnation. We, we struggle to just share those simple words with a coworker, a friend, a family member, sometimes our own children. But I like how Leith Anderson says it. The simple definition of evangelism is those who know telling those who don't. Pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? First Peter 3.15 says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Tell them about the bad news that you were falling under and the good news that came to you in Jesus. And yet we find ourselves in our modern culture as Christians talking about everything but Jesus. Too many of our neighbors know our political positions all too well, but they've never heard us lovingly and fully share the hope found in the life-giving gospel of Christ. I think Jesus is gonna say to us one day, man, you explained all that of your position on this or your opinion about that, but you never shared with them the gospel? How much time do you spend with others talking about your political positions and pandemic opinions, and how much time do you spend talking to others about Jesus? The message is Jesus, that should come through our lips, but it should also come through our lives. We need to have lives that have a humble, not haughty holiness. Jesus said that people will know we're his disciples by how we are in the word and live out the word. We walk in obedience to him. The holiness of our lives reflecting his character, and it should come across with a humility, not a haughtiness. But our lives also should have the message of Jesus in a sincere, not self-serving kindness that people see in us. In a sincere kindness, not self-serving, not look at me, but where we're kind and compassionate and caring toward other people. Even in our words, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Are your words online? Seasoned with the grace of God? Is there a kindness and a holiness that's demonstrated in the way you live, what your children see, what your neighbors see, what your coworkers see, what people see and hear about you online? The message is Jesus. It should come from our lips. The message of Jesus should come from our lives. And thirdly, it should come from our love within the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, the final apologetic, according to Francis Schaeffer, the final argument for why people should come to Jesus is that a bunch of people with different backgrounds, different education level, levels, different uh, ethnicities and races, people with very different backgrounds are all one in Christ and they've learned to love each other and they focus on the primary things of Christ and the gospel and the secondary issues they may disagree on, but they focus on unity in Jesus our love together as the body of Christ with other brothers and sisters is a part of the message that we're committed though we are different. Committed though we are different. I'm different than you and you're different from me and you over here are different from the person over here. 
Do you know what we have in common? It's just what we talked about in communion. We have Jesus. And the love we share, even when the world says those people shouldn't love each other, there are people of different political perspectives in that church. There are people of different backgrounds and, and education and socioeconomic standing, and yet they love everyone equally. We've got to be committed, though we're different, and we've got to be united, though we disagree. We've got to be united on who Christ is and the clarity of the faith and the clarity of the message. And then we've got to let everything else fall by the wayside. You see, because this is more than us just Getting together, I know some of you aren't able yet to join us here on campus or maybe you're just checking us out and been attending online to figure out who Calvary is and what we're all about. Well, the main thing for us is making disciples and our message is Jesus. But we as a church need to be together when and how we can so that even in our differences, the world sees the love of Jesus in us. Oswald Chambers said, Jesus said, go and make disciples, not converts to your opinions. Jesus himself said in that upper room, the, the same evening in which he instituted the Lord's Supper, communion, he said this in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I can imagine those men who were there who really had nothing in common other than Jesus looking around the room going, wait a minute, won't they know we're your disciples because you'll be with us and we'll be following you? He's preparing them that he's going to be gone. And the marker that they are genuinely his is that these guys who would have no other reason to get along love each other in Christ. And that will shine to this world. How much time and energy do you spend accusing and arguing with other believers compared to loving them and striving for unity with them? Oh, we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. The mission is to make disciples. The message is Jesus and we need to be united together around the personal work of Jesus Christ. Someone I've followed over the years in ministry, a great writer and has been a pastor. We've used a number of his resources here in the ministry at Calvary. Randy Alcorn wrote an incredible blog post a few days ago. And um, it was titled, The Pandemic of Disunity. And in it, he, he writes this. In the 52 years I've known Jesus, I've witnessed countless conflicts between believers, but never more than in the last year. Many have angrily left churches they once loved. Believers who formerly chose churches based on Christ-centered Bible teaching and worship now choose them based on non-essential issues, including political viewpoints and COVID protocols. Churches are experiencing a pandemic of tribalism, blame, and unforgiveness, all fatal to the love and unity Jesus spoke of. Rampant either-or thinking leaves no room for subtlety or nuance. Acknowledging occasional truth in other viewpoints is seen as compromise rather than fairness and charitability. Sadly, evangelicals sometimes appear as little more than another special interest group, sharing only a narrow unity based on mutual outrage and disdain. This acidic, eager-to-fight negativity highlights Francis Schaeffer's point that we have no right to expect unbelievers to be drawn to the good news when we treat brothers and sisters as enemies. The increase in Christians bickering over non-essentials doesn't seem to be a passing phase, and it injures our witness, inviting eye rolls and mockery from unbelievers and prompting believers to wonder whether church hurts more than it helps. Satan is called the accuser of God's family in Revelation 12.10. Too often, we do his work for him. 
His goal is to divide churches and keep people from believing the gospel. And then he quotes 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God and nor is the one who does not love his brother. He concludes, when we fail to love each other, we're acting like the devil's children, not God's. Part of our message of Jesus, yes, the words of the gospel from our lips, and yes, holiness and kindness from our lives. But then Jesus said, the one marker, the world will look and go, how do those people get along? And it'll be because they know the love of Christ and they share the love of Christ together. Our message is Jesus, nothing else. Jesus plus nothing is our message. So you have to embrace the mission, make disciples. If we're gonna keep the main thing, the main thing, we've gotta embrace the message, it's Jesus. Then there's the means. Jesus is real clear about the means. It's the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent God the Son to be the Savior of the world. Before Jesus left planet Earth, he promised the coming of God the Holy Spirit to be in his followers. He said in Acts 1.8, we just read a moment ago, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit came on them 10 days after Jesus said these final words. And from that point forward, the Holy Spirit has come upon those who are the followers of Christ. He lives in us. He's the guarantee from the point we receive Christ to save you, Ephesians 1 says, till we're with Jesus, that we are indeed God's. He transforms us. He's the one who convicts us of sin and, and helps us to turn into the path of righteousness. He's the one who convinces us when we're doing right and to continue those patterns. He's the one who transforms our character. It is through him that the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians 5 flows out of our lives. And he also empowers us. He empowers us. Jesus said, you're not gonna be able to be my witnesses without the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you. We're having a little work done in our house, and I've mentioned that in some past messages here, and a subcontractor was there that I'd never met this week, and we were, we were just chatting, and he mentioned some things, and kind of the door got wide open to talk about faith and beliefs, and he knew I was a pastor, and sometimes when I share my faith as a pastor, it's, it has a different angle. It's not necessarily the same angle you might have because sometimes you think I'm just trying to get them to come to my church, you know, and so it's, some things just open up and I'm thinking, wow, this is just this clear open door to share some of the good news of Jesus with this guy. And so I just, I remember just stopping, just sort of say, okay, Lord, <laughs> may your Holy Spirit empower me to have the courage, to have the clarity, to just share with him Jesus. And boy, the conversation went further than I even expected. You see, it's not me mustering up some ability. Yeah, we need to be trained in how to share faith. We had Greg Kukul here a few weeks ago and over 100 people were trained in how to share their faith when people maybe disagree and you're getting into some technical things. But, but at the foundation of it all is it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to give witness to the reality of Christ. He empowers us. You may be afraid to talk about Jesus with others. You may be afraid to live in kindness and holiness. You may be afraid to seek unity with other brothers and sisters when they're pushing back on that. But how we do that is through the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. And we need to rely on him, trust him, and lean on him. So there's the mission, make disciples. We've got to embrace it to keep the main thing the main thing. The message, it's Jesus. We've got to keep the message the same as it's always been if we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. And fourthly, 
We've got to embrace the map, our God-given map. And it's not just one nation or one city or one state or one community. This map is here, there, and everywhere. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit here at home in Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria, the regions beyond, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm so glad he didn't say to the ends of the Roman Empire because what they didn't know is the earth was much bigger than they thought. And the gospel has gone to places these men, men never dreamed existed and to people groups they never knew existed. You see, our map and our ministry is not one nation. It's the entire globe. But it immediately starts where we are, right here. It starts with your children in your home that you share Christ and you help them grow in Christ once they come to Christ. Your mission field is at work. It's in your neighborhood. This is not something that just other people do. We send them to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We are those who are given this commission from Jesus in these final words. And we start right where we are. I heard just a couple weeks ago, I asked some of our pastor and ministry directors to share with me uh, just some things they'd heard in, in ministries. There couldn't be anybody on staff, couldn't be anybody they were related to. Man, our high school ministry, our young adult ministries shared a story of this young woman who came to Christ two years ago. She's now led two other women to Christ. And this guy who works with this individual and led him to Jesus, and now he's pouring into him and discipling him. It starts where we are, our Jerusalem. And then it eventually, ultimately, goes where everyone is. It goes all across the globe. So it starts with me on my cul-de-sac here in this community. But it goes to the far reaches of the planet, that's why we at Calvary support so many partners around the world. And some of you before COVID went on some short-term mission trips to see those places, to serve in those places, to work in those places, to encourage our partners around the world. Last week, we had the pumpkin patch. It was so great to have the pumpkin patch. I, I know some people said they saw old small group friends and people they hadn't seen through the pandemic and it was outside and you had children playing and people picking up pumpkins and gourds. We have one family at Calvary who grows these pumpkins completely free, transports them here, then volunteers set that up and man that for our partner Bayamba in Uganda. And right now, all of the donations for those pumpkins and gourds would go to help feed people in villages that are starving because of what COVID has done to places like Uganda. So every penny of every dollar that was donated through the pumpkin patch will go to help feed people, and not just feed people, but to feed people in Jesus' name. And I know our partners in the Dongo family and Bayamba and God Care School and the church there. They, I know them as they hand out that food, they're going to be talking about the sweet good news of Jesus. And people are going to come to Jesus and grow in Jesus. Thank you for your participation in the pumpkin patch last week. We've done it for a number of years. As a matter of fact, in 2019, $38,000 was given on the one-day or two-day pumpkin patch a couple of years ago. Then in the middle of COVID 2020, it was hard. We weren't even fully on campus yet and didn't have all of our services all on board and everything yet. $55,000 was given last year, and that was also to help people in need that year through the outreach. This year, last weekend, $75,280 was given. And I know that through our partnership, this is helping us take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. If we get up every morning focused on saving America, we'll make America worse. But if we get up every morning focused on making disciples, we'll save America and every nation. It's from here to the ends of the earth 
The gospel is the lead that changes a family, that changes a city, that changes a state, that changes a nation, that changes the world. And yet, we can easily buy into the idea that it's Jesus plus something else. We've got to do this social cause, this political thing, because that's what we've got to do. And in our desperation, we're missing the final words of Jesus. He said, go make disciples. Keep the message about me. I'm going to empower you with my spirit, and you're going to go from where you are to the ends of the earth and see radical transformation because of the gospel. Well, what is it that motivates us? You read this passage and the verses prior to it, In Matthew 28, you read the passage in Acts 1, it's clear that our motivation, that we gotta embrace our God-given motivation is that this will bring glory to God, the glory of God and the good of others. The glory of God and the good of others. See, God gets the glory as his kingdom comes to earth through transformed lives. As we we share Jesus, lives are transformed. People are changed. And others experience good as culture is shaped by transformed lives. Oh, hear me, we've got to keep the main thing, Calvary. Thank you for those of you who've been faithful in giving. Thank you for those of you who've been faithful in praying. Thank you for those of you who've been faithful in, in uniting and as you've been able to with the various challenges of COVID and that you've, you've, you've leaned in to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. For the glory of God, as his kingdom spreads through us, just as Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. And as good comes to the planet through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus, his disciples are made. I read about a statistician who said, if you took the 7.8 billion people on the planet right now and the church around the world just kept doing things the way it's doing and sharing the gospel, really focusing on converts and leaving it up to the pastors and the, the staff and, and the professionals, if you will, in ministry to evangelize and disciple, if the church kept doing it exactly the way it's been doing it for the last 25 years, it would take 15,000 years to get the gospel to every person on the planet, just the 7.8 that are now here. That's almost three times the length of recorded human history. But if every believer on the planet right now discipled one person a year, saw one person come to Christ and then poured into them to help them walk in obedience to reach others, and then that person discipled one person a year, with the current number of 7.8 billion people on the planet, it would take 37 years for the gospel to go to every person on the planet. And I think when we get off the main thing, yeah, it can make some change, but it's gonna take thousands of years for that change. But when we make disciples and we give them Jesus, that's radical change from the ground up that will transform any state, any nation, any culture, anywhere. That's our mission. That's why Jesus said to them, we're not talking about restoring Israel, we're talking about spreading the gospel, making disciples. So what are some next steps for us? If we're focused on making disciples, making the message Jesus from our lips, our lives, and our love for one another, if we're relying on the means of the Holy Spirit, if we're focused on the map from here where I am in my life to the ends of the earth, and if we're motivated for the glory of God and the good of others, so here are some next steps. Give this invitation to three people this week in one way or another, whether you say it exactly or you email it to them. Maybe you know somebody who's been talking about Jesus with you or someone who's recently come to Jesus. But say to three people this week in one way or another, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. That's being a disciple who's making a disciple. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Secondly, grow in evangelism through messages from our Conversations That Matter series. 
I, I, I had put it back at being 2017 or 18. I found out it was right before COVID. We had our Conversations That Matters fall series. Some of your small groups went through it. Go back and look at some of those messages of how to have a conversation of sharing your faith with someone else. Conversations that matter. And then thirdly, read Randy Alcorn's article, The Pandemic of Disunity, How We Drive the World Away. Read that article and think about your part in either adding to the unity of the church or the disunity of the church, uh, either in loving your brothers and sisters in Christ or creating disdain and, and making people your enemy who are not your enemy. Now, that sermon series and that article are available at calvarywestlake.org walk. These resources regarding di- disciple-making are there. Oh, my friends, we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. We have the cure. Why would we hide it? Why would we fumble it? Why would we get distracted from it? We've got to make disciples. We've got to say to people, follow me as I follow Jesus. I came across not too long ago a great clip of a person who's been a friend of Calvary for a number of years. Some of you, he was your pastor over in Simi. Um, his wife was a part of, part of her growing up was spent here at Calvary, Francis Chan. He spoke at a conference. He was talking about disciple-making. I came across this clip not too long ago, and I thought, I'm going to hold on to that for when we're talking about disciple-making. Because I think he makes the point, we can't just talk about it, hear a message, and go, yes, pastor, that's it, that's right. But we've got to do something. Watch this clip. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. All right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. Simon Says is... uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. <laughs> you, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. (laughs) You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's It's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Pretty simple. I think we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We have the cure. Let's keep focused on our mission of making disciples and the message of preaching Jesus by the means and power of the Holy Spirit and with a map that starts here in our lives and goes all across the globe for the glory of God and the good of others. Let's wake up each morning saying, how can I make disciples today in my home, wherever I go? Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for these final words of Jesus so clearly recorded. We've got different angles on them from the, from the different perspectives of those who were there and went out with those 
marching orders and oh my goodness how the world was turned upside down so quickly by the power of the gospel when they kept the main thing the main thing thank you father for the folks who are part of calvary thank you for so many who've leaned in and sought unity loved one another even when there have been differences of opinions may we keep our eyes on jesus the author and finisher of our faith we've got the cure father help us to recognize that to be passionate about making disciples we pray in jesus name amen